Clark, it's an 87th Precinct bonus episode! Hello again, everybody. We are now in the investigating the covers of... Paul. We are now in the investigating... Po- ponds? <laughs> We're now in some ponds. The of covers of ponds. <laughs> Didn't oh. know anything about that, I would have... I would, have rev- I would have revised. I'm going to leave this mistake in to, just to prove <laughs> oh. to everyone that we're not the slick, smooth organisation that sometimes people will think that we are. <laughs> of course, because that, that is the impression we normally give. Definitely. I was going to say, the problem was this wasn't written down, this is why it's an issue. We are now in the investigating the covers of our editions of segment of <laughs> the bonus episode, which is the start of it, it's where we always begin. And it's 80 Million Eyes, 21st book in the 87th Precinct series. If you listen to the main episode or you've read the book, you'll know the one of the main aspects of it is it's about the death of a famous TV star live during his broadcast. So clearly that's the big influence on people putting together the covers for these things. Also, you'd think, but we'll have a little look at our editions and then we'll have a little look at the first editions as they were released in the UK and the US. Once again, Morgan is exempt (laughs) from this because he has got his copy of the second 87th Precinct Omnibus. Trusty Omnibus. Imagine you had one giant book with like... (laughs) The complete works. (laughs) All of them in. Like like a... It'd have to be on a binder, wouldn't it? It was brilliant. Imagine huffing that. Oh, Oh, yeah. We'd have to huff every page. No one man could huff Every that Every chapter in it. <laughs> mm. But, uh, yeah, last the final showing uh, for the uh, the trusty omnibus. Uh, so how many has been in that, Morgan? Three. three. Mm. Okay. So uh, take a, a last look at, uh, yeah. at Ember Bain with Buffalo Springfield hairdo. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, it is one of the best author photographs, isn't it? It's great. It's a very nice, good grainy black and white shot. I mean, if I remember from previous huffing, it doesn't really smell of anything. It doesn't. So there's no need to huff that again. That's done. My copy of this, and I'll go to mine first, so it's a pan edition, so the British collectors will now be getting into the loads and loads of pan editions. Which there's something inside. Indeed, one of the ones we did before, possibly the last one, was also a pan edition and had the signature of what appears to be D. Llewellyn Hodge written inside it and an ex-Libris stamp. So we have seen one, I, when I bought mm, two or three mm. at a time and it had this clearly from someone's collection. Oh, yeah. Yours cost half as much as mine. Yours cost £1. Mine cost £2. It was clearly owned in 1980, new, because the edition I've got is a pan edition, but it's a reprint from 1980, whereas the original edition came out in 1970. Mm. So it took a little while for it to get into paperback in the UK anyway. And the cover of my edition is... It's the shiny gold... McBain logo, one of my favourite logos mm. I quite like, and it's covering up a close-up of a f- screaming face on presumably what's supposed to be a TV monitor because it's got lots of lines and lines and lines Indeed. on it, but it's covering up the eyes, ironically mm. so the cover of 80 million eyes is eyeless. It's more like somebody who stubbed the toe though, isn't it? Ah! <laughs> like that, as opposed to a s- scream ah! I'd like you to imagine that noise when I put the picture up of this online for people to see. Imagine that noise that Steve-O just made and see if it fits. That's, I might that's, that's what I... Th- I've not seen that before, so that, that's my immediate reaction to that. It's all right, though. It's uh, it's quite a nice little addition. I think the cover's pretty good for, for a 1980 book. Yeah. Now, if we jump to Steve-O's edition, which is also a pan edition, 
It looks like Richard Keyes holding a gun and pointing at you with a sovereign ring on. It's rubbish, really, isn't it? Is it the first edition, Steve-O? Bears no resemblance to anything. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with the story whatsoever. Steaming gun. Steaming, <laughs> Steaming gun. Someone's heated up this gun. Smoking gun. Yeah. Someone's just boiled it on the hob. Smoking gun. This is... Steaming gun. First published Great Britain 66, this edition published 70. So yeah. that's the first pan edition of it. Excellent. Second printing, third printing. Ah, third okay. printing of the first edition of it. Yes. Because I can confirm that the first edition, which has exactly the same cover as yours, mm-hmm. had a silver, silver, a gold yeah. sticker on it that says Steaming a new, gun. A new pan. A new pan full of steaming guns. <laughs> but I think they were, they clearly got this contract to put out all these paperbacks and in the very first tranche of UK paperbacks they just did couldn't very, be asked they so. didn't read the story they just put someone said get me some crimey things for the yeah. cover crimey so can have a look at those so I'm passing am Steve I, am I the, right in thinking there's not the a single editions. eye on any of these 80 million Is eyes that one down there possibly there's one, one eye. eye one eye there's a graphic-y eye oh, there's a graphic eye there's two eyes on one two three four different versions yeah and I've obviously not got all the versions that have been published but I suspect the there's eye a man actually isn't and the man and he doesn't even have any eyes <laughs> it's strange isn't it UK hardback quite like that design actually I like that font that's like on if you're in a nuclear bunker in 1966. That would be the font of that is telling true. you what to do. It's quite a classy bit of design, that isn't it? Mm. So that's Hamish Hamilton still, like, the UK hardback. Like edition. that font as well on the US paperback. I yeah, think, I think this is my favourite. So you you're coming down on the side of the Hamish Hamilton UK hardback yeah, yeah, edition, mainly the font. I quite like that run of books. That's it's got a nice bit of graphic design of someone clutching their tummy on a TV monitor, but it's all done in sort of silhouette, not silhouette, cut out, almost. Yeah. Did, did the guy who did the moody photos on the Penguins do one for this? You know, we've had quite a few mm. of those. Oh, I don't think he would have done. Um, or are we talking about... The... I'd like to know what he would have done with the... Yeah, uh, that, that would have been interesting. He'd have had an eye. Yeah. He's got an, an eye for that He's got an eye for... Ah, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But perhaps, Morgan, you could describe the US hardback, the Delacorte mm. edition, the first one that would have appeared. It does feature an eye, a stylized kind of eye in... Uh, what do we call that? I'm trying to think what, how we describe that kind of printing. It's like... Sort of... S- stippled. Yeah. Stippled, yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit like in, in the, the colouring in an old Marvel comic where you've got lots of dots making up uh, the image. And, and anyway, a, a stylized eye with a, a, a dead body... Where the people should it looks be. It's a bit sci-fi that somehow. It does. It, it? It, you'd expect it to be a little bit futuristic. Yeah, a bit future. Yeah. But um, it, it's it's quite, it's quite stylish. No, I, do, I do like that. Actually. I'd be intrigued by by that mm. cover. I am quite keen on the Dell edition, the the US paperback, which Steve said he liked the font on, but it, it's wonderfully busy. Mm. There's lots of stuff going oh, on yes. there. It looks like bees, but they're actually uh, capsules. Capsules. Indeed. That classic old party game, bees or capsules. <laughs> well, they do look a bit like bees, don't they? Well, they're What's hovering that? around. That's it's like on a bar of soap or something. <laughs> what is this that supposed to be? I, think, I presume it's supposed to be a, a TV monitor, but it's sort of hovering it look, in space. It looks so it, a bit more like a bar of soap. 
It's like a bar of soap stuck to the forehead of this woman <laughs> Who is while being... she's been attacked by bees. <laughs> what was the quote on the it's bottom of the <laughs> It's strange. Yeah? They're really strange, some of the covers. It's like absolutely no effort or really weird effort. Yeah, and not the effort you'd expect, which is someone reading the title and going, ah, it's really nice, let's just stick loads of eyes on there, which is, has definitely happened with a lot of the others that we've seen. Yeah. It'd be like, are there, are there bees in this store? No. <laughs> no, but I can understand that. But yeah. It's, um, I'm, I'm joking, it, upside down it looks like bees. <laughs> or ants. Bees or ants. But yeah, they, they, I always look, love looking at the old covers, different it's, covers, because it's... Um, they're all a bit mad in their own ways. Aren't well, it's they? interesting to look at the first editions and see how these stories were first presented oh. before they became, you know, a thing on a shelf like some of these later pans are. And actually, in some cases, the presentation of them as as paperbacks that are just out or have been out for fourteen years. In the case of mm. of my edition, the paperback is better presented then than it was when it first came out. Mm. It's an education. Anyway, I'll put this stuff up on our Instagram page and link to it through our various social media so you can look and tell me which is your favourite. And if you've got any other ones, I'll try and dig out some of the foreign editions as well. Are you going to huff your books, oh, Steve? Oh, yeah. Christ, I nearly forgot them. <laughs> Driven to blasphemy <laughs> through near huff forgetfulness. Ooh! <laughs> Like a, there's a sweetness to that. It's like a. Let me see. Let's see if its quite, sweetness is my weakness. Quite unusual. <laughs> Michelle Gale reference. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, that's a. That's a tribute to two of it? my sisters-in-law. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. It's <laughs> not, there's an unexpected huff. You know what one. I've got in there? It's almost like there's a tiny hint in the background of a struck match. Mm. The smell of a struck oh, match. Right. Somebody's setting fire to notoriously unreliable. Somebody's setting fire to an apple cart. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> Not upsetting it, just just setting fire to it. Mmm. <laughs> I suspect it would be upset if it was on fire. I'm not getting anything. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> a, apple, a fiery apple cart. That's there the best go. huffing description you've you've come to. Yeah. Very so, very vivid description there. Mine's just just slightly musty book. They're always the worst, you know. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really smell of some stainage on the side there as well. Yeah, I suspect like you that. may have just inhaled a lot of spores. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit... Not spores, it's spores. Yeah, more... A bit of le leakage on the corner yeah, there. It's a mucky book. Like a bit of <laughs> damps got in. You and your mucky books. Me <laughs> and my mucky books, indeed. So there we go. <laughs> we had a question from. And that's uh, all. Uh, we're um, yeah. That was some good that. huffing. I think yeah, it, was. it was beautiful, poetic. First time we've just done two, but. But we got a question from a listener, and that listener is Gary, my brother, who everyone will have listened to on the second of the Christmas bonus podcasts when we discussed danger dinosaurs, <laughs> which was quite the story. But Gary was pondering again on adapting the 87th Precinct, but the question was, I think it's, we've sort of touched on it perhaps mm. in passing in discussion not going to ask us who's going to play <laughs> Who would you have as Steve Carella? <laughs> what, we do like that question, we're just not very good at answering it. It's fine. Yeah. By the end of the run, we'll have a definitive answer. Yeah, by the end of the run, there'll probably have been three different adaptations of these. Probably, yeah. But the question was, what format 
would you see the 87th Precinct being filmed in now? A series of films or one story over several episodes, story per episode? I know what I'd prefer, and I'd prefer a story per episode, but them to be feature length. I'm back-to-back beasting through the Poirots at the moment, and they're 50 minutes per... The early ones. The early ones are, yeah. Um... Like the later ones are like an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, they're too long. They just they go on forever. Nothing some of happens. them, oh, yeah. Painful. Some of them they introduce characters or explore characters you don't really need to. Yeah, you just like you have no interest in this at all. So fifty minutes for those is perfect, and they're probably a similar yeah, length, length and detail of plot and number of characters, etc. So I would, I, I, yeah, I would say, I think if you strung them out into mini series. You would have to do serious. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd have to pad them something. Rotten. Unless you did something a bit like um, like NYPD Blue, where you can generally have one plot per episode, but some you can that's, underline that go that's on for longer. I, say, I mean, I think there are some that would benefit from from a bit of a more in-depth treatment. So maybe if you had that kind of series where you have sort of a different case popping up every episode, but then an overriding kind of case that that works along in the background too. I think that would make a, a, a pretty good format. Because then that would allow you to have... Because the beauty of these for television would be the fact that you've got potentially big cast, isn't it? You've got lots of characters that you can yeah, get involved yeah. with. So just to compartmentalise, oh, this episode has yeah. these three in, and then next episode has... The other three. You're a bit more into yeah, so Hill Street Blues territory there, whereas yeah. let's get them all in pretty much all of it as best you can. So, yeah, it's probably a blend of the two, I would say. Hmm. Yeah, I th- is I, my answer for that. Well, I mean, we just read 80 Million Eyes, which has got two stories running concurrently. a major, uh, The A story, which is the Stan Gifford murder, I'd say, and the B story, which is Kling. The Kling thing is part of his character development, mm. so that's something that would be happening across a number of episodes, as it happens across a number of books. Yeah, you could move, string that out, or condense it with the other. But you wouldn't want, say, like the Deaf Man stories. You wouldn't want them to be like a big, long, drawn-out thing, because most no. of the Deaf Man stories are like bang, something yeah. insane yeah, is happening. A, something's happening uh, one afternoon yeah, somewhere. You, you can't yeah. drag those out because it's yeah, it's kind of. They're high impact and it's kind of an emergency, isn't it? And yeah. But you could, some of those do include a lot of chapters that don't involve the 87. It's about him planning them. Yeah, so they'd be the type of things. They're the things you can can tease people with. A couple of little precursor bits in earlier episodes. Oh, this guy's back. What's he up to now? Just before the big series finale, you maybe have the big full Death Man episode, and Mm. then you have the the last episode that's the culmination of this other big plot that's been building up. Yeah, you could have 15 mm. minute snippets throughout of building up to. Some diabolical yeah. plan. Start, starting off fairly incongruous, just a yeah. nondescript gentleman going and renting an ice cream truck, um, etc. Yeah. And then you do nothing more about that till the following episode. <laughs> if they do do a new adaptation of this, it's going to break my heart that I'm not allowed to be involved in doing it. I'd imagine you'd be, you'd be consulted, surely. I'm, if I don't get a consultant credit... From some American production company who's never heard of us and has no interest in our opinion whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my poor little heart. Are the um, the TV rights 
well, owned I've not by heard, somebody in their entirety or not. I have not, not heard anything at all since. And I, I, I've, I don't feel it's the sort of question I could put to, say, Jane Gelfman, the, uh, Hunter's agent still, because TV rights are notoriously... Well, it takes a long time for, for things to be developed and, and very often things die at an early phase, go into a, a cupboard somewhere. <laughs> People might keep paying for the rights just to make sure no one else gets uh, them, things like that. Stuff that's happened with films and stuff yeah. all the time. You, you would have thought net, you know, it just, kind of Netflix type of... It just feels like there's this body of work that's just ripe for adaptation now... Well, always, really, but now, hmm. particularly given the rise of stuff like Netflix and yeah. Amazon and stuff like that. Uh, I think with these, on certainly some of them, you would, you would, well, I'd be, you'd put up with some fairly loose adaptations, wouldn't you, on some? You know, oh, uh, you have to as yeah, well to yeah. make them fit into whatever time you set them in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'd be better than the Martin Beck series, which, as far as I could gather, bore no relation whatsoever yeah. to... You, you see, I, yeah, I've banged on about those books, and I watched one episode of that, and I thought, I am not interested Likewise. in ever watching this ever again, because... You've saved me the effort, then. Um, oh, yeah. I don't know if it's... there were some episodes that were based on the books, but I... Yeah, it... Yeah, just just. It's not as though the, the annoying thing is it's not as though it was a bad television program. I just thought, well, they might have just might as well have just invented a whole separate yeah, thing and, and not called and, it. And that. I would have been more interested in watching it then mm. because I'd have thought, well, but you just watch it and think, well, what's the point? You know, you, you just it's just such a waste of an opportunity. When you've got a, a series of books that's such a perfect, self-contained, brilliantly crafted thing. And then you just take the name, a couple of the names from it, and yeah. write on some generic it, Scandi crime nonsense. It, it, in that one, the um, jump into that, the, the 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 character of Larson, at least he had a little bit in common mm. with the character in the book. But yeah. Beck's absolutely nothing like yeah. the guy in the book, and so and he's the main focal point, and they ditched all the rest of the supporting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was totally was ridiculous. So yeah, it. totally. Cra- so if they did something like that, yeah, you wouldn't be interested at all. As we've said before, everyone, if you like McBain, you will love the Martin Beck books, but probably not the series by the sounds of it. <laughs> yeah. Whereas at least the Wallanders. Oh, the Wallanders. Oh, yeah. Obviously, they did the books of those in the Scandinavian series mm. fairly faithfully, I would say. And then after that, obviously, go yeah. and write their own. Yeah, that Beck, yeah. So if they did something like that, you would beg the question, what's the point? Yes. Um, so we've answered your question, Gary. Now we'll just wait for the phone to ring <laughs> and Hollywood TV. Perhaps we should do our own radio plays of them. Would you have the... Music. And then... 87th Precinct. Yeah, Oh, I think they'd work well as radio plays yeah, as well. I've, I've thought yeah. about how you'd adapt that before. Well, I mean, we should. We should, perhaps we should try and do one as a bonus episode. It was doing all the voices and with all the kind of foley stuff, just yeah. gravel between the mics. Yeah, brilliant. No, I, I, I think they'd be very interesting to hear them as as radio plays. You're, probably, you're not giving me a yes or no on that. <laughs> I think we should. Maybe the very short one, the Christmassy one. Well, Christmas treat for all our uh, listeners. Who knows? In fact, there was. And I didn't mention this because it. Just didn't come up at the time. There was a German radio version of 
and all through the house. Oh, right. That was played over on the radio, possibly on an internet radio station. I'm not sure. I don't speak German, but I saw it in passing on Twitter. An adaptation of it done in German. Oh, right. Cool. So it's, it's been adapted. It's an adaptable thing. I thought we'd uh, shift back to something I mentioned in the main podcast, though. And it's very important. We talked about the films that were released in 1966. Oh, right. and I mentioned Morgan, a suitable case for treatment. <laughs> I'm sorry, Morgan. I've just I couldn't leave this once I'd read the synopsis. And I'd like to share the synopsis of this film with you. So this might be good for you. If you say you people have appended your name with this subtitle in real life, you want to know what this film's about, really. To know what I've, I've kind of carefully avoided finding out up till now, but uh... Well, this is gonna be a revelation. <laughs> it's not about a Morgan car, is it? Sadly not. It's a British film, so it's some quite well-known British names in it. Now, I will say now, I don't know whether it's considered to be a good film, a bad film, a middling film, or just one of those bizarre mid-60s curiosities. In 1966, the, the, a lot of British films did very well in America, which couldn't get enough of, mm. of British output. Things like Alfie, for instance, were huge in America. But Morgan, suitable case for treatment. So the main character is Morgan Delt, D-E-L-T, played by David Warner. Mm. David Warner, great actor. Splendid. But he played so he plays he plays Morgan, who's a failed artist, raised as a communist by his parents. Excellent. He has a very upper class wife, played by Vanessa Redgrave, who basically gives up on him and is trying to get divorced so she can marry someone else, an art gallery owner. Given it says here, this is a synopsis mainly from Wikipedia. Given the innately rich and personal world of fantasy that Morgan has locked himself <laughs> into, he goes off the deep end. <laughs> So his creative world is shattered and triggered and mm. sent mad by this upcoming divorce. He performs a series of bizarre stunts in a campaign to win his wife back, including putting a skeleton in her bed and blowing up the bed as her mother sits on it. <laughs> Which is the first thing you do when you try to, you know, repair a relationship, isn't it? Now this gets better. When these stunts fail, I don't have a full list of the stunts, we need some mystery. Morgan secures the help of his mother's wrestler friend, Wally the Gorilla. Excellent. Played by Arthur Mullard. <laughs> For people who aren't British and don't know who Arthur... Or if you are British and don't know who Arthur Mullard is, look him up. <laughs> he is a thing to behold as an actor, a singer. Oh and yeah, what a, a singer. I think a domestic abuser as well. And another one of my twists of positive <laughs> endings to a story. But it basically, something happens with this, this guy called Wally the Gorilla, uh, who's a wrestler. Morgan's arrested, but he escapes. And he crashes the wedding reception of his ex-wife and her new husband, dressed as a gorilla. Okay. And then flees the wedding on a motorcycle with his gorilla suit on fire. Brilliant. And then he's committed to an insane asylum. And Great. then some other stuff happens. Sounds sounds cracking. Okay. So, sound, it, uh, it stars Bernard Breslau as well. Oh, there's the carry-on <laughs> link. <laughs> and it stars David Warner in the lead, who was in the uh, British version of Wallander. So that links directly to... Let's see, everything all, comes all, together. All connect up. Yeah, it, was, it was nominated for three Oscars. Blimey. Uh, best actress in leading role, best costume. Two, sorry. Nominated so, for the Palme d'Or, 1966 Cannes. 
Well, there we go. I think you need to dig this one out, Morgan. Just, I think so, yeah. Really? Um, do you feel it in any way reflects your own life? It's, it's, yeah, it, it sounds pretty much like they've just taken my life story and put it on film. It's, uh... <laughs> so, but yeah, so this film happens in 1966, and then 13 years later, you were born as a tie-in promotional yeah, opportunity. uncanny, really. Wow, this, yeah, it looks looks amazing. You can't go far wrong with a, a movie with a which prominently features a man in a gorilla suit. Although it's better if the man in the gorilla suit is meant to be representing an actual gorilla. Yes, obviously. that's always good. And if, or the, the, we were watching a Sherlock Holmes, one of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes the other day, mm. which I think features as its date, well, as one of the main things that happens in it, a, a man in a gorilla suit playing an actual gorilla. Mm. And the, at the end, Holmes locks the villains in the, in the trunk, in a trunk, in a cage with this gorilla. Like it wouldn't just tear them to shreds. <laughs> Holmes had basically sentenced these two thugs to be torn Death apart by, by a male gorilla. Yeah, male gorilla. Brilliant. Shouldn't mess around with him. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. What's that James Bond film with the gorilla in it? It's a Roger Moore one, isn't it? Uh, it's bound to be. I, I, I don't know, but the moment the you say the one with the gorilla in it, it's bound to be a Roger Moore one. What happens with the gorilla? Um, I don't know. The gorilla's Blofeld? I don't know. Is it one with a circus? Oh, I don't know. This isn't Smirsh Pod. I don't have to know this Octopussy. stuff. Octopussy. Possibly. That sounds suitably... Octopussy's extremely silly, gr- isn't it? So that's probably... In it's case. probably gorilla silly. Is, is that the one that's got Q floating around in a submarine disguised as a crocodile? Oh, I just uh, invented yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Octopussy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More of that sort of stuff, please, Bond. Yeah, absolutely. That was a very good impression of a automated crocodile mouth. That's definitely what people should be debating about future Bond movies, rather than which kind of minority should play James Bond next. It's, it's yeah, or, or shouldn't, and then getting very like upset about it, and describing everything as political correctness gone mad. It should absolutely. just all be about whether or not Q will appear in a submarine disguised as a crocodile. This is the important debate we should be having. Absolutely. I don't care who plays Bond, as long as automated crocodile, etc. Will anyone be attacked with a a yo-yo that has blades that come out of it? (laughs) That that was quite good. Mm -hmm. I've forgotten which one that was. That was Yo-Yo Blade. Ah, yeah, that one is good. James Bond will return in (laughs) Yo-Yo Blade. That was Gold, was that? No, no, that was one of the Brosnan ones, wasn't it? I don't know. Anyway... Basically, more of the daft stuff. Yeah. Just want more of that. More of the daft stuff, Fair less enough. feelings. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, I think we should uh, conclude that we have taken in the covers of 80 Million Eyes, we've discussed adaptations of the 87th Precinct and extant adaptations of other things as well that you can currently watch or not watch, depending on whether they're any good, like Wallander versus the Martin Becks. We've looked at Morgan, a suitable case for treatment, so we've put that to bed and discussed spy crocodiles. Don't think there's anything left on the agenda, is there, really? No. I I don't don't think so, no. Just about wraps it up. Yeah. Well, join us next time for Fuzz. I'm off. Bye. Bye. Fairly well. Well,